I'd like you to open your Bibles this morning as we begin. We're going to look at a couple of passages, but let's start in Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2 is probably the most familiar and best recognized of all the passages that reflect the story of Christmas, because Luke very particularly uh, explains to us what happened on the night that Jesus was born. And it's in this account that we're told that while the drama of the birth was occurring in this cattle stall behind an inn somewhere in Bethlehem, there were shepherds who were watching over the flocks. Typically at night, they would all uh, gather their individual flocks together and bring them into a large combined flock and uh, kind of gather around them, sometimes to use a makeshift um, fencing out of the uh, vegetation or whatever, and they would uh, take turns watching them together so some of them could sleep during the night. By the way, this is an aside, but uh, when Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice, it was also their custom in the morning to just simply go to the door of the sheepfold, and they would call their sheep. And each shepherd, the sheep knew who their shepherd was. And they would follow them out. And uh, they didn't have to worry about sorting them in the morning. They just responded to the shepherd's voice. Isn't that cool? But anyway, they were together. And the scripture says, an angel of the Lord appeared to these shepherds. And announced to them that for them, This day, in the city of David, a Savior had been born, and the words that the angel used for them would have been immediately recognized, He is Messiah the Lord. He is the one you've been waiting for. And then the Scripture says, after that announcement in verse 14, suddenly with this angelic host of announcers, there was a whole angelic choir. And they burst forth in song, singing glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among all men upon whose favor God rests. Peace upon all men on whom the favor of God rests. You know... There's a lot of different ways to read that passage. There's two or three different ways depending on how you emphasize the words. But I really agree with those who feel that the meaning that is best coming through here is that God has now blessed mankind. He has caused His favor to fall upon mankind. Because Jesus has been born, the long-awaited one. And He will save His people from their sins. And He will deliver them. And He will release the captives. All of the promises of the Old Testament are fulfilled. God's favor has come upon men. And the announcement of the angels was peace to all men upon whom God's favor rests. You know, among the deepest longings of every human being in every place, is a longing for peace. People long for peace sometimes in their own heart. 
they're troubled, they're full of anxiety, they're struggling with issues they can't solve, they're looking for some kind of respite from the turmoil of life. It's true all over the world. doesn't matter what color you are, doesn't matter what country you live in, doesn't matter what language you speak. People long for peace also in the political sense, peace without war, peace without uh, crime sprees, peace where safety reigns. This morning, all across this land, there are people who have loved ones in harm's way in various parts of the world, principally in Iraq and Afghanistan, but there there are loved ones in harm's way in places you've never even heard of, carrying out the mission of the United States. And those families long for peace. They long for an end of conflict. There are people in troubled countries where civil wars are going on, where strife is going on between tribal parties, where countries are at each other's throat, and they long for peace. The announcement of the angels was an announcement that God is bringing something that everyone yearns to have. It's peace. Rowena introduced her Christmas recital the other evening with a poem by Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. It's actually a hymn that we sing called I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. And it inspired me to research that more deeply and to use the story behind that this morning for your benefit to, to understand some of the background that just people people long for peace. Longfellow lived toward the end of his life during the Civil War period. And April 12, 1861, the first salvos of the Civil War were launched and the war actually began. A war within a country. A war between states. A war that was very hard to, to, to comprehend because it was a war that pitted friends against friends and sometimes family against family. As children of one family a single family had differing convictions on the issues and went up and joined with opposite armies. And some of them found themselves in the ensuing years facing each other, brother to brother, on the fields of battle. It was a war that tore the heart out of America and cost a huge tragedy. Besides the nation at war, Henry Longfellow was also experiencing personal tragedy. In July 10th of 1861, just a few months after the Civil War started, his wife Fanny was trimming their seven-year-old daughter's hair. I think her name was Agatha or Abigail. Anyway, she was trimming her hair and she decided that she would preserve some of her beautiful curls and sealing wax and so she melted some sealing wax over the table. It was a hot, languid summer 
they were just dying from the heat. And she had just written in her journal the day before, I wish that we could have some breezes. Unbeknownst to her, on that next day, as she was attempting to preserve these locks and sealing wax, some of the wax dropped on her dress, and a gust of wind came through the window and ignited them. And she found herself on fire, and not wanting to risk the safety of the children, she ran into her husband's study. He tried to smother out the flames with a rug. It wasn't adequate. He tried to smother them with his own body. But Fanny Longfellow died from her burns the next day. And Henry was so severely burned that he was not able to attend her funeral. It was months before he was well again. And sometimes you see a picture of him with that long kind of scraggly beard. And part of that reason is because he could never shave after that. So severe were the burns on his face and his hands and his arms. A few years down the road, Still suffering grief in his own heart. He, they say he never really got over the death of his wife. His oldest son was in battle in the Civil War. And he received notice just a day or so before Christmas that that boy had been shot. He was not dead, but he had been seriously wounded. And as he got that news, Christmas of 1864 dawned and Longfellow was contemplating the absence of peace. He picked up a pen and he wrote words to a hymn. We've dropped a couple of stanzas now because they pertain to the Civil War and don't seem to have a place in our hymn book, but it's good to remember occasionally. He picked up a pen and he wrote these words. I heard the bells on Christmas Day, their old familiar carols play, and wild and sweet the words repeat of peace on earth, goodwill to men, and thought how as the day had come the belfries of all Christendom had rolled along the unbroken song of peace on earth, goodwill to men, till ringing, singing on its way the world revolved from night to day, a voice, a chime, a chance sublime of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Then from each black accursed mouth the cannon thundered in the south, and with the sound the carols drowned of peace on earth, goodwill to men. It was as if an earthquake rent the hearthstones of a continent, and made forlorn the households born of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And in despair, I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead. Nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail. The right prevail with peace on earth. Goodwill to men. Longfellow was meditating on the trials and tribulations of his day. But he was also contemplating the scriptures and the promises of God. 
And when you juxtapose the two, my friends, and with the eyes of faith begin to sort them out, God always wins. Faith prevails, and His promises are sure. I just want to spend a few moments talking with you this morning about three ways that God brings us peace. You know, in Romans chapter 5, 1, you knew I couldn't get away from Romans, didn't you? I'm really not done. <laughs> in Romans chapter 5, 1, Paul writes, We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace wherein we have obtained this grace in which we now stand. That peace with God that Paul is talking about there I'm sure you all remember, is a judicial peace. It is a peace that comes when we know that our hearts are right with God and we know that our sins are forgiven and that we can stand in His presence unashamed and have open fellowship with Him because our debt has been paid. Of all the kinds of peace that men and women lack, the one that they sometimes fail to recognize but lack the most is peace with God. Every human being ultimately is yearning for peace with God. Their soul is restless. They have this empty void that cannot be filled, an an itch that cannot be scratched, that's yearning for a connection with God and peace with Him. And as the angels announced that this Savior who was born is Christ the Lord, He was saying the peace that He will bring among other kinds of peace is the peace that will restore man's relationship to God in the forgiveness and the cleansing of sin. Jesus was explaining this to Nicodemus, and he spoke those words that John has recorded for us, and they're among the most dearly loved verses in Scripture. For God so loved the world, God so loved the world, that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world. The world was condemned already. But that through Him the world might be saved. Friends, I want us to remember this morning, those of you who know Jesus Christ, that your peace was purchased with a very high price. The Apostle Peter tells us it was the cost of His precious blood Blood as of a lamb without spot or blemish, the perfect and precious Lamb of God who shed His blood that we might be forgiven. And the first peace that is promised in this proclamation is the good news of the Gospel that every man and every woman and every young person and every child who will hear this message and turn from their sin, and turn in faith to the work that Jesus Christ did on the cross of Calvary when He died for us, they can be forgiven. They can have their sins 
blotted out completely. They will be removed from them as far as the east is from the west. God will cast their whole sin history and their sin future into the depths of the sea. God will completely cleanse them. And from that day forward, they can approach the throne of grace with boldness, knowing that they have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. What an amazing peace that God offers us. But you know, the kind of peace that Longfellow was longing for was not simply that judicial peace, because that speaks to our standing with God. But it does not speak specifically to the the troubles and the trials and the pressures of living every day. That discomfort that we feel, that anxiety, that pressure, those trials, the the loss of his wife, the wounding of his son, the personal grief that he bore, the sadness of people in those days saying they went to church week after week and more and more women were wearing the black of mourning as the death tolls began to rise and and a gloom held over the nation then. Today, we face not those kinds of problems, but we face another set of problems. There's economic gloom hanging over the nation. There is difficulty in the world. We have a sense that that the whole thing is is kind of um, held together with paper mache, and all it will take is is just the slightest uh, puncture or the or the tiniest flame to cause the collapse of the whole economy. People are struggling with all of the political turmoil and unrest around the world. We have those same storm clouds gathering. And then some of you are suffering with things going on in your own lives. You're you're looking for work yourself. You're trying to figure out how to make it on a reduced budget. You're praying for an opening for a job. Some of you are struggling in other areas and your hearts are aching and you have this kind of thing going on in your life that tends to rob our peace. But this Savior who was born also offers us a personal peace that addresses those very issues. You'd like to look in John's Gospel just for a moment, beginning in chapter 14. There's two verses in particular that I'd like to read to you. In John chapter 14 and verse 27, Jesus says to His disciples, this is the night of His arrest. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. And in chapter 16, verse 33, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. Six times in these chapters and in the closing chapters of John, as Jesus 
meets with his disciples in post-resurrection appearances, he promises to them peace. This kind of peace. Not just peace with God, but the peace of God. And notice what he says, My peace I give to you. It's, it's not some add-on that he supplies. It's not some commodity that we can purchase in the household of grace. It's Jesus Himself. My peace I give you. And it's very clear in, in, in verse 33 of chapter 16 when He says, In the world you will have tribulation, but in Me you will have peace. In Me you have peace. Friends, it's not the peace that He adds on to us like, you know, an accessory. What He's doing is inviting us into Himself and saying, Abide in Me. Dwell in Me. Live in Me. Rest in Me. Come to Me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. And I will give you rest. Cast all your cares upon Me because I care for you. Come to Me, I will take your burdens and give you My peace. You can find that peace in Me. And my encouragement to you this morning, friend, if, if you, like Longfellow, have an aching heart because you're distressed by world events and you're distressed by personal events, If I can be so familiar, let me just simply say, snuggle up to Jesus. Spend some time with Him. Draw near to Him. Rest in Him. He is the one who has the peace. Don't ask Him for peace, just go to Him. And open your heart to Him. And let Him wrap His arms around you and take you in. Because in Me you have peace, He said. In the world, you're going to have tribulation. But in Me you have peace. Paul offers peace in nearly every one of his letters. He begins his salutations with grace to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. It is the longing of every heart. But God offers Himself as our peace. And so as the angels announced the song, a Savior is born who is Christ the Lord, there was in that message the good news of the Gospel that restores us to a right relationship with God and gives us peace with God. There was in that message the offer of the very peace of Jesus Christ Himself for our lives on a day-by-day basis. But also there was in that message the implicit announcement that a Savior is born who is Christ the Lord. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He is the Prince of Peace. And one day He will bring political peace. He will bring world peace. The whole world is looking for peace in all the wrong places. We're hoping 
for a president. We're hoping for a king. We're hoping for a leader. We're hoping for a brilliant economist. We're hoping for somebody that has answers. And we're going to look in vain for that person until Jesus comes on the scene. Isaiah, in his prophecy in chapter 9, you want to turn back there, you can. If not, you can listen as I read. Isaiah chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. But there will be no more gloom for her who is in anguish. Isaiah 9, 1. In earlier times, he treated the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali with contempt. But later on, he shall make it glorious by way of the sea on the other side of Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. I can almost never read this passage. I want to join Handel and sing it, but anyway. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, a light will shine on them. Thou shalt multiply the nation, thou shalt increase their gladness. They will be glad in thy presence, as with the gladness of harvest, as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For thou shalt break the yoke of their burden, and the staff on their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor, as at the battle of Midian. For every boot of the booted warrior in the battle tumult, and cloak rolled in blood, will be for burning fuel for the fire." For a child will be born to us, a son will be given, and the government will rest upon his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. Friends, germane in that announcement of the angels was not only the herald of the birth of the Savior, It was the announcement of the beginning of the end when the Prince of Peace and King of Kings and Lord of Lords will come to this earth. The Bible tells us that times will get worse. Wars and rumors of wars will increase. There will be great inflation. Famines will follow. Diseases will break out. There will be difficult times. But then one day, when it seems like all is lost, a trumpet is going to sound. The dead in Christ are going to be raised. Those of us who are alive at the time of His coming will be caught up to meet Him in the air, to usher in the King of kings and the Lord of lords, our glorious Savior, who will return to this earth to reign and rule in majesty and power, and He will bring peace upon the earth. And for 1,000 years, you and I will share the great blessings of that 
earthly millennial kingdom where Satan will be bound, the hearts of every unbelieving person will be totally held in obedience to the lordship and authority of Jesus Christ. This world will be so filled with peace that the lamb will lie down in the pasture with the wolf and dwell together in safety. Because even the animal kingdom will go back to the harmonious life of vegetative eating and there will be peace in all the earth and no fear and no crime and no wars and no horrible things happening. And when that is all said and done as proof that Jesus Christ can reign and rule upon this earth and we with Him, His anointed ones, then will come the judgment of the great white throne and ultimately the ushering in of the new heaven and the new earth and we will be with Him forever. The angels came and they said, Peace on earth, goodwill to all men upon whom God's favor dwells. Peace upon the earth. Peace because we're restored to God. Peace because He gives us His peace. Peace because in the end He wins. Then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth He sleep. The wrong shall fail. The right prevail with peace on earth, goodwill to men. Father, I pray this morning that if there's anyone in this room that does not have that first peace, the essential beginning place of peace with you, I pray right now as we sit in this quiet, That you, O Holy Spirit of God, would touch their hearts, expose their sin, make them aware that they are at odds with a holy God, that there's a barrier there, but that Jesus has shed his blood and paid the price to cleanse their sin and wash it all away and restore a right relationship with you, O oh Lord, and would you in this moment give them faith to believe that, that they might turn from their sin and turn to Jesus and for the first time in their life have peace in their heart with God. Father, I pray for those who are here this morning and who have all kinds of things happening in their lives that are not pleasant. The temptation is to become filled with anxiety, to become fearful and worried and troubled about what's happening. Those who are suffering grief, those who have loved ones who are ill and don't know what the outcome is going to be, and they're having a hard time, would you draw them to your heart? 
that they might rest in your lap, lay their head upon your shoulder and feel your arms around them. You are the God of the universe. You hold up all things by the word of your power. No evil can befall them in your presence. Not really. Will you give them your peace as they rest in you? And Father, this Christmas season, as we remember again the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ, we anticipate his return as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We look forward and we live our lives, as it were, with ears tuned to the sound of that distant trumpet that grows ever closer until the crystal clear note is sounded and the heavens peel back like a scroll and the earth trembles and the King of Kings rides forth in blaze of glory and we rise to meet Him. And so shall we ever be with the Prince of Peace when He brings peace to this world. Thank you so much for such a Savior who is the Mighty God, the Wonderful Counselor, the Eternal Father, and the Prince of Peace. We praise your name in Jesus' name. Amen.